what's great about being a mom or a parent is that my kid eats whatever I make for them. It's great, right? Their nutrition's perfect. No, besides it, no mom ever, and certainly not any mom or parent in this realm specifically. I don't know a single child on the autism spectrum that has the perfect balance of nutrition and doesn't did not have any feeding challenges. So if that's any indicator about the conversation we're about to have really be excited because we have a very special guest with us and I can't wait to introduce her. So hang on. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. So this is a common question uh, that we get from our community at large, that everyone in some regard has questions or concerns about what their kids are eating. How do we get our kids to eat? Do we supplement? Um, How do we manage the nutrition for our children? And honestly, if I can be candid, most of us, because we are not medical experts, we do not feel comfortable providing answers to that because there's also not just Mm -hmm. one way to answer it. And it's actually looking at things kind of holistically. So hence cue the professional that we have on our podcast today. So here myself is Jean. I'm host today with with our Tosh. Hi. And we have Elizabeth Klein. She is a BCBA, LBA, and MED. So she is a board certified behavioral analyst um, and a licensed behavioral analyst as well. And um, so she actually works specifically with this population of kids, has a lot of experience and know-how in this. And then and aside from that, she, through working in this field, she was finding that there was basically a ceiling or there was a way that we weren't really solving the problem or remedying the eating habits and nutritional standards for our kids on the spectrum. So she created an assessment tool that she's going to tell us all about and we're going to talk about and geek out about today. Um, and on the side of that, she also has a nutrition business that she runs with with her husband. So she is a boundless amounts of wisdom, <laughs> uh, institutional wisdom when it comes to this. And we're so proud to have her on. And I um I'm going to turn it over to her so she can tell us even more innately a little bit about herself. And then we're going to dive into all of the nitty gritty about the tool, um, how it can be helpful and how to access it. And even our own personally lived experiences, because you know, you never are going to get off an episode here without hearing from any of us moms who are currently on the struggle bus with their kids' nutrition and eating habits, or any any of our habits, or any of our topics, you know that doesn't happen. So 
you can anticipate that for sure. So Elizabeth, go ahead. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really exciting and it's an honor to get to talk about all of this. Um, like you said, I've worked with um, children and adults with autism as well as other disabilities for a very long time. Um, I started working with them in high school. I volunteered at a summer camp and um, it was just from then on. I knew that was what I was passionate about and that I really wanted to serve that population. Um, since then, I went into college and pursued, um, I started at social work and then I decided to switch to special education. Um, I did do some time as a special education teacher. Um, so I'm familiar with, uh, this struggle in the school building as well. Um, and then I was a regular education teacher too. Um, and then I worked with this population in a variety of other, um, contexts. I did residential care. I've done music therapy. Um, I've done nonprofit work. Um, I've worked with young adults to integrate them into more of like a social setting. Um, so just tons of different things in addition to, um, ultimately becoming a BCBA. Um, and so working, you know, doing ABA therapy in clinic, home, school, and community settings, um, and just, uh, regardless of whatever setting I worked in, whatever, um, clientele I served, um, consistently there were feeding issues. I like exactly like you said, um, I rarely, if ever came across a parent who was like, I'm completely happy with the way my child eats. Um, so even if it was, you know, minor things or very severe things, there was never just a, you know, we don't have to deal with feeding problems at all. So I was seeing this big, um, gap um, and lack of resources, especially for those that are typically described as more high functioning. Um, you know, if they don't have swallowing deficits, if they don't have oral motor deficits, if they just won't eat, and there's not really a reason why, um, there wasn't really a place to turn. And so um, that uh, kind of led me to developing the feeding assessment tool. Um, and like you said, my husband and I are also just um, passionate about healthy eating. And we do own a nutrition store as well, where we help you know, the typical population, um, with their health too. Um, but yeah, I just continued to find that, um, children with autism were struggling with eating and that, that is such a root cause of so many other behavior problems, so much family dysfunction, um, you know, not being able to perform well in their other therapies. Um, and that's just, it's one of the main behaviors that needs to be targeted. I totally agree. Um, I think, when uh, in other previous discussions that we had with you, I even had mentioned um, because we have well, personally walked through other feeding programs um, through ABA as well as through our speech and uh, occupational therapy programs. We even at one point had all three working together on the same feeding um, program that was evidence based and it was working really well. Until it wasn't, and the thing that threw it off wasn't that wasn't how the the scaffolding of the program itself. It was that the clinician that then started to come in to oversee from the ABA practice meddled, intervened, didn't like it, was trying to covertly influence me to go to move to a different model, and by doing so, interrupted that, and it actually caused my child to have a traumatic experience. And now we've never been able to get back on the right track. Mm -hmm. I had to move into um, a program um, called uh, ISCA, which was the My Way protocol, was to even help him recover from that so he could even start to trust me and 
his clinicians and uh, behavioral technicians even around like anything regarding food, right? It wasn't just food, it was it helped everything broadly, but just from that perspective, um, that, you know, we're still not out of the gate. I think what's happening now to our advantage is because he's, my child is approaching adolescence and obviously their physiology, our kid, kid's physiology and maturation has impacts this as well, is that he's, he's hungrier, right? And she's like, well, I do want to eat more food. This means I'm also going to, he's, he's starting to have his own curiosities, but I'm not placing the demands. And I certainly would never revert back to any of those old things, but anything that even reflects those types of protocols outside of, again, the my way protocol is like immediately like shut down for him. You know, um, he's demand avoidant. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And we can't even work through that to get through to, to that piece. And I think a lot of parents end up there and we, we've done everything, like trying to throw everything at it, the, the kitchen sink, right? We tried a um, mm. food program that was also created by BCBA called Ate the Plate, um, which I was very optimistic about we and did. loved. Mm. And my daughter was loving it. Cause we were, I was trying to make it like universal at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cause it's not, these things don't have to just be targeted to our kids on the spectrum. It can be all, all kids. Right. I think it's also kind of how you even can manage if something is like really autonomously, you know, a, an agreement with, with, a, with a child or, you know, wherever they are mm-hmm. um, developmentally. And like, he still was, shutting it. I couldn't, couldn't do it. And it was almost even like environmental things, like just not even wanting to sit at the table because of it at home. He will not sit at our kitchen table. I can literally still count on my hands since the time we've lived in Texas, which is eight years that he has sat at the kitchen table and he, so, and I've just let it go. It's like not even a thing for me, but I like anymore. But maybe if I start digging, it is kind of a thing and it would be nice because there's such nostalgia. I mean, I, I have a culinary background and I know food is just even from a communal standpoint mm-hmm. and a cultural standpoint, it's, it's a thing that universally brings people together. Mm-hmm. And so you start to lose that peace and there's like grief around it. I think even mm-hmm. as a parent, it's this very complicated, nuanced manner. It's not just the focus on the nutritional element to your child, which is the driving factor. You're kind of, I mean, I was over-functioning, trying so hard to be like, why oh, did you get to eat? I need you to eat. I need you to eat. I had such a deep-rooted belief that, you know, food was nutrition. That was food was how food was medicine. And I'm like, I had to let go of all that, right? He's my beige food warrior, all different variations of beige. That's mm-hmm. where we're at still, you know, mm-hmm. maybe pizza, there's red sauce in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is basically the color palette. And that's mm-hmm. not my own thing. And I think that was a huge let go for me. I know it's a huge hang up, especially as a parent. Let's even just bringing it up to the bar of just being moms, especially, especially now you can't mm-hmm. open up social media 
any of them without parent putting together these most elaborate things like, oh, look at all this stuff you can make for your kid. And I'm just like laughing because I'm like, my kid ain't going to eat that. My kid, my, my kid doesn't eat that. I'm not even going to invest the time currency and even trying that even if I wanted to. You know, you did, there's mm. so much that I'm like, well, that's nice to look at. And I'm just like thinking, can I also see your kid eating it? Mm-hmm. Can I see your kid? How's that going? Right. So even on that level, it's just everywhere because it's a basic need, right? It's a huge, huge basic need. And without that basic need being met, like you said, it just rolls in into all other parts. It's, it's, it's unavoidable. It intersects with everything, right? How can it not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, their mood, their sleep, everything. So, so tell us about, I guess, where in this journey... Like what came first? Were you a BCBA first and were you trying some of those programs and then you created the rubric or you created the rubric and then you also became a BCBA? Um, no, I was a, I was a BCBA first. Um, and one, one thing I wanted to just touch on just since you brought it up and I think it's so valuable, I don't want to forget to say it, um, is like you said, the food, you know, sitting down eating at the table as a family, I think that's such a like refreshing, rejuvenating time. And so I think a lot of parents with children with autism don't get a whole lot of that that time. And so then when the difficult things come up, you know, when when you have a, a child who has more typical behaviors, when those difficult things come up, you kind of like lean on that. Yeah, but we, ha- we had such a great time together yesterday or we, um, you know, that mm-hmm. great conversation we had, like you're able to kind of get through those times. But for someone who doesn't get those refreshers and like those positive interactions during mealtime, like that can be so hard for a parent to then make it through the difficult times. There's not much to Mm-hmm. like fall back on. So um, I just wanted to make sure I, I pointed that out because I think the family piece is so important. If you're expecting, you know, this child to make progress, they need to have the parent who's able to, you know, be present with them and um, not just eat your food, eat your food, eat your food. So right. yes, mm-hmm. I, um, mm-hmm. I became a BCBA um, and it was uh, something that every single child on my caseload struggled with. And I wasn't surprised because I was like, well, yeah, every single child I've ever worked with has struggled with it. Um, And so I started looking into resources for um, particularly food selectivity because I was like, I'm not a speech pathologist. So I know there's resources out there for swallowing um, oral motor. Um, I'm not an OT. I know there's resources out there for like um, adaptations and things of that nature. Um, but the children that I was working with that were receiving therapy from all three sources, um, were still not having their food selectivity needs met, it seemed like. And the parents kept asking me questions and I was like, it doesn't really seem like, I don't know where to point you. Um, so that's kind of where I went into, I started, uh, seeking out training, um, on feeding therapy specifically in behavior analysis, and then also using an interdisciplinary approach which I believe currently an interdisciplinary approach is really the way to go when it comes to feeding mm-hmm. treatment. I think that's the most effective. Um, and then, uh, yeah, from there, I decided to develop something that could specifically target um, some more of the food selectivity piece as well as the mealtime behaviors. Um, so the things that I saw were lacking. So um, the feeding assessment tool is great because it does target both of those things and it gives you kind of a starting point of, um, you know, what foods should we actually start with? What foods should we move on to next? Um, rather than just kind of taking a shot in the dark and being like, let's start with applesauce because that's not 
that's not systematic. That might just be the way that that practice does things is we just start with applesauce. So um, I've had a lot of success with um, kind of learning which food is going to be best for the child to start with, kind of getting the low hanging fruit out of the way, making some progress, gaining some momentum, um, and then tackling some of those more difficult things. Um, and they're, mm-hmm. they're always kind of surprising. Like it's not usually just applesauce. I had one child who started with those little sausages, like those <laughs> little Polska sausages is so random, but it worked really well based on her test results. That was what we needed to start with. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I went about it. Um, and just started using it with my own, um, clients and then, um, you know, reaching out to other clinicians as well that could benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, just really quickly, I want to say, you know, obviously there's so much that goes around, like you had touched on earlier. Um, you know, scientists are figuring out so much that the gut is connected to to everything. Um, and and then of course, like you were also saying that the because of the either lack of certain foods or protein or whatever it might be, that then there's the other behaviors that come from it, you know. So like what maybe a lot of us you know, people in this community try to like pinpoint it like, oh, you know, um, for an example, somebody will reach out to us and they'll say like, oh, you know, is your child eating gluten (laughs) or is your child not eating gluten? Are they eating, you know, are they having red dye 40 in there? You know, there's all of these like very specific things. Um, and again, I, I feel like it, it, it kind of all just goes down to, each child individually, but then also like, I mean, how do you, so, you know, if I, if I, if I brought my son Jack in (laughs) to you and he has, I would say a well-rounded diet, it's, it's, it is, it's very regimen. It's the, it's the same, you know, 25 things, but I mean, he gets, Mm -hmm. you know, fruit, vegetables, you know, carbs. Um, how, how would that look for, like if we walked into your office and and I was like, okay, he's, you know, he's 10 years old. He's fourth grade. I want him to start like trying different things, just trying mm-hmm. it, you know, and and wh- where do we even begin? You know, like how does that even look? I know that ma- may sound just so basic, but. No, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, um, you know, because I, I, I mean, like I, it, it's, it's super bizarre to me that I can, you know, ask him casually all the time. Hey, you should try this. You should try it. doesn't matter if it's something sugary. doesn't matter if it's something, you know, healthy. doesn't matter where it's at. I still think Jack is trying things because I got to witness it twice this year, one in person and two before we got there, before we visited. Yes. So, but I mean, you know, the, the, um, what I what I've kind of come to notice is that I can I can ask until I'm blue in the face, right? But he randomly comes home sometimes and is like, "I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches," and I'm and I'm like, "Where did you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Because you haven't had one of those since you were like a little tiny toddler, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know." So I, I guess what I'm kind of starting to notice is that in his age group you know, that he's in and, and elementary and, and being, you know, exposed to, you know, lots of different kids, whatever, that he is maybe a little bit more willing to try things, but it, it's still such an issue at home, you know, and it really, again, it really doesn't matter what it is. Like it could be, you know, a ridiculously delicious piece of chocolate. And he, if it's not in his, 
wheelhouse if it looks, you know, like, oh, no, that's disgusting, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, what, you eat this piece of chocolate, <laughs> so what's the difference? You know, I how do you yeah, I, I don't, I mean, absolutely. So just like to the, back to the basic of a parent like me, who's like, okay, where do I be? Where do I begin? Well, and I think what you described is such um, a good picture of like the overall food sensory profile, because a lot of people say it's a texture issue issue. And sometimes it is. Oh sometimes my gosh. I was just going to, can I just say that mm-hmm. really quickly? I was just going to say that because like, it's not a texture issue a lot of the times with, I mean, it mm-hmm. can be, but like he eats hummus, yes. you know, like, <laughs> There's adults that are typical that are like hummus is disgusting. That has a disgusting right, yeah. So I mean, there is no for me rhyme or reason to what he does and doesn't like or what he will try and won't try and and the and the why behind exactly. It. I'm so glad you sorry. brought that up. Because- Continue on. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so that was really the goal of the assessment tool. Is the first half of it is like a super in depth food inventory. Um, Other food inventories out there will say, um, you know, does your child eat sandwiches? That doesn't really tell us anything. Um, But ours is a really, really in-depth food inventory about the shape, the color, the texture, you know, every single food um, asks a wide variety. Um, And then that way we can give a result um, as far as uh, we have several different colors, textures, temperatures, shapes, uh, flavors. Um, So it's it's across the board. It's extremely robust. And that way you can see what those patterns really are because most of the time they're not as random as they seem. Um, You know, you might think like this piece of chocolate is the same as that piece of chocolate, but they're not. They look different, you know, they smell different, whatever it is. Um, So this gives you a better picture of what those patterns are. Um, And then you can look at that and say, okay, that makes sense. Um, I need to target pink foods that are chewy. That's something I can be successful with based on, you know, what these results are Um, rather than just what do you mean you don't want this chocolate? This chocolate is yummy. Try it. Um, so it it gives you um, much more of a systematic starting point. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect example is like um, he, you know, he, he eats apples. He loves apples. It's one of one of his favorite fruits. Um, he likes the skin peeled off, of course. So, you know, we 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 do that still. Sometimes he'll eat it whole. That's been a, a change, a transition. Um, but I peeled them an apple one time that <laughs> that was like had like pink veins in it almost like it, delicious. The apple was delicious, but he wouldn't even try it because it didn't look like the other mm-hmm. apples. Maybe like the envy, the pink lady, the you know whatever. Mm-hmm. It had this like we. <laughs> weird kind of pinkish white anyways and so i i mean it was like i had to bribe him with roy won't even eat his a treat in order just to try this apple that is delicious Mm -hmm. he won't even eat his so that's i guess what i'm the packaging Mm -hmm. so like so that's what that's what's so hard for for me to understand is that i'm i as a parent i'm going what Mm -hmm. like you know and then it was like once he tried it he was like, oh, yeah, okay, it's delicious, mm-hmm. you know. So, but your head as the parent is exploding because you're like, where do you even begin? And I realize that some of these kids are, um, you know, people are early on in their in their journey and they are in ABA. You know, we never did ABA. Um, and and so there there are people that are aware of these these different things, you know, and um and food therapies, et cetera. But like, you know, just kind of the even the difference between a a, a toddler that's diagnosed and then a, you know, 
you know, school age child, you know, a, a child in their adolescence or whatever, like moving through that, that protocol of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sorry. one thing I just went on a too- tangent and I don't even know what I was and asking. Yeah. Um, it accounts for age groups as well, because you expect that a toddler would be more picky. I would be shocked if a toddler was like, I love asparagus. It's the bomb. Um, so there's certain like levels of pickiness that are totally typical. Um, but yeah, when you get to like an adolescent age or something, you'd expect to have more foods in the repertoire. It shouldn't just be chicken nuggets. Um, so that's definitely important right. to note too, is there, there's normal levels of pickiness and even in adulthood, you can dislike things. Um, there's a normal level of preference that should, you know, be at play. Yeah, yeah, yes. I don't like my vegetables over, over steamed or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes, but um, it, okay, yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so. Again, like it's it there for me. I I see it. It's ever changing. Right. I mean, you know, like Jean, you like you've said, Rory has been on a beige diet for um especially since two. Forever Amen. Yeah, no, like he was a great eater <laughs> until he was two. I mean, I could get a full so, range and, of color in him, food, vegetables, fruit. Yeah. I mean, and see, and that's what's so bizarre to and, me too, is and that then it, Jack would eat fish he was. And then little, at you two know, it just like, fell off a cliff. And it was that yeah. same at that developmental period for us is was that where the typical Mind you, for the record, again, he wasn't diagnosed yet with anything, but mm-hmm. two is that is that typical developmental time period where you start to see, mm-hmm. you know, the the nutrition backside, like in their eating repertoire backside, if they were trending upward and was well rounded, but it is usually a short lived period. Mm-hmm. And obviously ours wasn't a short-lived period. And what happens is, is the gap got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the repertoire of food that he would eat, it just got smaller and smaller and more selective. Mm-hmm. And it was like, because I was like, okay, well, he'll eat beige and orange food. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, now the orange food like would it just fell off a cliff. And I'm like, I don't even know how to get that back on, you know? So, um, yeah. And again, I'm speaking in terms of color because a lot of times that helps keep it simple when mm-hmm. people are looking at. And I always used to say, and I, and I because I had a food background and when I used to develop menus, I used to do meal planning. I used to do nutritional planning too because I had a nutrition background. Um, I uh, used to say to people all the time, well, let's just, let's look at this and make sure we're eating in color. And that's how, you know, you have a well-rounded menu. That's one way. I won't say it's the only way, but it's definitely one big overarching way to comb out if you, if you're eating well or your, or your menu looks appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of fill in the gaps from there, change it or modify or whatever. Um, but that was my wiring. And so I was like, to become unwired from that was like, what, what is even happening? And I'm like, and I'm such a, um, I can be a bulldozer and that's probably part of the problem of why things wasn't really working really well with Rory is that I can't hold the demand. I don't think I was backing off of the demand because as a parent, I was panicking. Mm-hmm. He was, he also was an extended breastfeeder. So I breastfed until he was two. I felt like, okay, my child is now not getting that additional nutritional supplementation through me. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's got to do it on his own. I'm like panicked. Like, what are you, what is he going to do? Then boom, we get this diagnosis. And I'm thinking there can't possibly be anything more important 
than his nutritional foundation here. And I was, mm-hmm. I was, I could say it, it was the biggest point of contention. It was my biggest stressor uh, for a year and a half. I feel like it was trending in the right direction. We had that inter- interdisciplinary depro- approach with all of the therapies working together cohesively. He was increasing his food repertoire. He was trying new things. We were even, um, in terms of the sensory profile, there was a lot of things that you know we were overcoming in that area. Even sitting at the table, there were so many things. Mm-hmm. And then it just, just like that, just like the rug out from underneath of you. And I think, and if you ever, you know, research and just information online, a lot of kids on the spectrum and the other problem is, is that there is a lot of trauma around these therapies mm-hmm. that are all targeted back to, you know, either poor execution of of food therapy programs and just, and especially with the, uh, the, and I want to say this and because you're a BCBA, maybe you want to, uh, to allude on this. There's a lot uh, or expand on it. A lot of the food therapy programs that are adopted into, you know, practice that are evidence-based, why you got to see them work where the kid was finally eating what was happening to a lot of these kids that are now adults ended up with massive eating disorders Mm -hmm. or disorder eating problems Mm -hmm. um, because they were programmed to eat a certain way and then would just, that was the only way they were doing it. And they really weren't even responding to their own autonomy. And I think that becomes the, one of the challenging things as a, for you as a clinician and for a parent to figure out how do we delineate what's the right pathway. And I think for me, I had shied away from a lot of those programs within ABA mm-hmm. that they wanted me to put into his treatment plan. I felt they were too aggressive because they were much more of like a, for lack of a better word, a force feeding kind of approach. Mm. and mm-hmm. or or it was a total um what do you call it um lack of access you mm-hmm. can't have access mm-hmm. to things and it was kind of until punitive you. until you do this mm-hmm. and so yeah, there, there was, was there's it was kind of both it, the scale went both ways and it was like how about neither of these options seem like the way that i want to navigate this and it didn't seem like there was a happy medium or choice so mm-hmm. How w- so? I just have to ask. Yeah, what what does it even look like? You know, I, like I said, we've never done ABA. Mm-hmm. So, um, what if you're somebody who's not in ABA? Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't, and your your child's struggling with with these food situations. How do you even know who to like talk to about it? You know, maybe of course most of us just default to our pediatrician or whatever. Um, but where would you even go to? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, See, there's this whole rubrics and testing, mm-hmm. and we can set up a whole plan for your child through. You know, um, I think there's a lot of people that just don't even know that. Yeah, exists. Well, and it's still it's still relatively young. Um, you know, speech therapy and occupational therapy are a little bit older, but still, still like only a hundred years old or less um, as far as like when their boards were established. Um, ABA therapy is much younger. Our board was right. established in 1998 um, and feeding therapy didn't really even come on the scene until like the early 2000s. So it's definitely still being fine tuned. And that's why I think 
this is a really big, important conversation to have because um, ABA sometimes gets a bad rap in general. Um, but I think with a topic like feeding, um, still people are just just figuring it out. Therapists are figuring it out. And the re- research still needs to be developed on a lot of things. Um, but what I will say, uh, traditionally, um, speech therapists are sort of the head of feeding therapy, which makes sense because they have most of the background in, you know, swallowing, uh, myofunctional, all of that sort of thing. Um, and then occupational therapists can be great. Um, they have more of a background in, you know, sensory issues, adaptations, anything like that. Um, and then, uh, BCBAs or, you know, any, uh, RBTs, ABA practitioners can be helpful if there's any sort of behavioral issue, which most of the time there is. Um, it's, it's not always just, you know, a sensory thing or like a physiological thing. Typically it's like, you know, they're struggling with sitting at the table. Um, they're struggling with whatever environmental things are going on. Um, ABA, like I said, sometimes, um, sort of has a reputation for being like punitive or, um, you know, we're just dangling a reinforcer and you have to eat this in order to get that or something. Um, but that's really not, not what it is. And I think, um, if you've had an experience like that, it's probably not the best practitioner. If you actually like look at our, um, ethics code and things of that nature, um, we're not supposed to use punishment, like pretty much in any circumstance, unless it's like to save a life basically. Um, and it, it shouldn't just be reinforcement either. Yes. Reinforcement's important. If you're working with children, like you should be giving them high fives and telling them good job. I definitely believe that. Um, but it's also so much more in depth than I think people realize in terms of, you know, we're doing parent training, we're doing modeling, we're doing environmental modifications. It's totally individualized and it shouldn't be this like cold thing that I think it's sometimes viewed as. But I think if you're um, a parent, obviously parents with autism are tasked with doing a lot of research and finding things out on their own, but you do have to figure out what's going to be best for your child um, based on what their needs are. So if they, you know, if they do have severe um, physiological needs, they have sensory issues, they're going to need adaptations, things like that, you might seek it out from an OT first. If um, they're really, they don't have a lot of like oral motor deficits. Um, They don't seem to have a lot of sensory issues. And you think it is more of like a behavioral thing, then you might be fine with just a BCBA. Uh, But then, then, like I said, most of the time, uh, SLPs or speech pathologists are going to be the ones who lead feeding therapy. So it's kind of based on just what you think your child needs. Um, But then, like I said, you want to look for a team that's open to that interdisciplinary approach too, because you might start working on things and realize, oh, hey, this is a behavior problem or this is a sensory problem or something like that. And then you need to seek another professional and your team needs to be okay with that. And yeah, we're and working. Yeah. Yeah. Together. Say, um, yeah. I think, I think that's, I wouldn't say there's other, other professionals that I saw the opening for the parents were pointed in direction of, and that was obviously nutritionists and dietitians and those Mm -hmm. that then kind of were trying to niche down with those in the autism population. And so you saw, and then you saw a little, a big biomedical movement. So you saw a lot of biomedical doctors and progressive medicine, um, progressive specialists step up. And the other thing, the last thing I've just seen, um, and this was because as a result of uh, even conversations I had with my kids, pediatric dentists, and I said, hey, this oromotal specialist had did an evaluation to supplement what our speech and occupational therapists were doing, which is how we stepped into the SOS feeding program. Mm-hmm. And I said, and they were speculating 
that he has a um, tongue tie in the back, which is the, what, uh, what is that? Not, mm-hmm. not the anterior, the posterior tongue tie. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of, they were suggesting that this is a tongue tie that goes completely under the radar, not caught often. They're not, cause they're not looking for it. People don't know how to identify it. Um, so what the pediatric dentist has started doing is if they're starting to, if they get that, uh, child in that patient that's sitting in their chair, um, is having issues with kind of any like feeding, swallowing, there's any kind of oral motor behavior. They are, they partnered with a myotherapist clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big, especially in Austin, there seems to big, be a big um, uh, trending, uh, tr- big trend with myotherapy clinics kind of opening up. And all of a sudden I st- started to look, I started to see it. And I was like, wow, this is a thing. This is great. Mm-hmm. Because they, even as pediatric dentists, weren't feeling like they were fit to identify that amount because it became very highly specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, and I wouldn't, why we're on this, why we're on this topic, because I know this will prompt other questions, but they said that a lot of kids, a lot of even typical humans, because even typical humans have all kinds of lip ties, tongue ties, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. It's common to have a posterior tongue tie. It's more common than none, but they, a lot of people overcome it. Um, Again, it's just, again, working with the muscles, but some don't. And there needs to be, again, that surgical intervention that needs to occur. Um, but it is something to potentially consider when you're like, well, why is my kid? It could also be maybe maybe that is a reason why your kid's not eating certain textures and foods because mm-hmm. of their how their, their muscle mm-hmm. is able to swallow. You know, and it's not just, again, what the surface up here is telling you. Mm-hmm. And I still have conjecture around. I think that is, could be still a big thing for my child. Um, His speech and articulation has like increased tremendously. There's definitely overcoming that you see, but it's still something I'm keeping an keeping an eye on. Um, And so like those types of specialists in those groups, I would say, I hear that in the circles that people get directed into. But what's also unique about your assessment tool, and we haven't mentioned this, was that it's available for anyone to use, mm-hmm. right? So even here, we're going to be able to share it on the podcast and on our page and in our community. People will be able to use that link mm-hmm. and use those assessment tools. And if I'm correct, that data obviously goes back to you and then you can sort through it after it's aggregated and you can have a schedule a meeting with the parent, correct? So um, if, they, if they want to, how does that work? Um, so yeah, it's open to anyone. And that's, that's something I wanted to create too, because some people are already in feeding therapy. Some people are like, I don't know if I need it. Some people are just like tackling it on their own. Um, and so I wanted something that is really useful for, for practitioners. That's, you know, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, behavior analysts, or nutritionists but also Mm -hmm. that parents could just use without any training um, just to better understand their child's feeding behaviors if they want to tackle it themselves or if they want to learn like, okay, so this is actually severe picky eating and I need to seek help or like, no, that's actually in the normal range. It's all good. Um, So yeah, you can definitely um, do it as a parent or if you're already seeking feeding therapy, you can bring it to your therapist, whoever that is, and just request that it be done because regardless, it's going to provide valuable information. Um, The PDF automatically Mm -hmm. generates um, with the results. So it's going to have like an in-depth analysis of all of the sensory factors. Um, Like I said, that's across 
colors, textures, flavors, you know, all sorts of different things, um, food groups. Um, so it's going to have an in-depth analysis of that. It can flag, um, you know, if maybe a more specific oral motor um, assessment needs to be completed by like an SLP or, you know, a myofunctional specialist, um, you can get a flag for that. Um, and then all the behaviors that it would like recommend um, being worked on um, based on, you know, whatever age group you've selected. So, you know, it could be like, uh, you know, if they're maybe really high functioning, it could be like eating out in a restaurant, social eating, things like that. Um, if you're really starting at the beginning, it could just be things like picking up a fork. Um, so it does just automatically generate that PDF. Um, but then you can bring that to your therapist. So it doesn't have to be me. It could be whoever you work with. Um, and that'll just provide really valuable information for the treatment plan or just for you if you're just doing it on your own. Yeah, just like yeah, like I mean, we we are in any therapies outside of school, mm -hmm. and and we don't have any. It's not a like an oral, right? They just what did you call it? Well, oral motor. Yeah, there's not like a yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. So I mean, this would be something that we, you know, my husband and I would be kind of tackling on our own, and then and then maybe being able to share with you know like his teachers mm -hmm. and specialists at school just to kind of. To, to kind of, you know, support that or yeah. whatever. Um, but I, I love that. So, I mean, okay, that's, let's do this. Sign <laughs> me up. <laughs> Good. Um, and well, no, I, I just say that because I, I mean, it's, you know, like even better, I think for somebody who is, is in therapies and they can, they don't have to necessarily take it on themselves, but you know, there's probably a, a good, amount of our community who is maybe in a very similar situation like mm -hmm. mine, you know, where, where we're not in those outside therapies. We're at an age where, you know, we're just trying to figure out, just trying to, trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So what are, that is so, so, what, so are these live links to PDFs or how do people access your so um, if you purchase the assessment, um, within 48 hours, you're going to get an individualized link for you, like your portal, basically. Um, and then you go in, you'll complete, um, starts with like the initial information as far as like um, the age, um, you know, who you are, whether you're a parent, practitioner, those yeah. sorts of, mm -hmm. you know, basic things things. And then the first part is going to take you through that really in-depth food inventory. Um, so it's going to ask you um, specific questions about, um, you know, would they eat this food? How likely is it they would eat this food? Um, and, you know, you can mark sometimes or there's different specifications for each each one. Um, and what's great about that is as opposed to like a food diary, which I know a lot of practitioners use, if, if I give you a food diary, you might just say like, yeah, chicken nuggets Monday through Friday or like, um, you know, we, we bought carrots this week. So that's what they ate this week. Um, so this gives us a big range as far as what the parent actually thinks they would eat if they were presented with it and what those reasons are. So it'll go through the whole yes, food. That's huge. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's huge. Oh. I just have to say really quickly because, um, you know, sometimes when you're doing food therapy, it's like, uh, you know, we try with these certain things, but then if you're not keeping up at it at home or the, like you said, the menu changes for mm -hmm. the next week, it's like, okay, now it's this season and oranges aren't in exactly. season mm -hmm. and, you know, and so then we lose this, this gap of time because we're not eating oranges because they're not, <laughs> or strawberries or whatever right. it is. Um, I, I love this. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, and so then each food is scored to, um, generate, generate a result. Um, and so for instance, like, let's say you're like, my kid loves ice cream. So it must be that they like cold food or it must be they like creamy food. But in reality, it might be that they like the mintiness of the mint ice cream they're eating. 
And then we notice the pattern of like, oh yeah, that sour, spicy, tangy, bitter, that's something they're really strong with. Um, so you'll get all those sorts of results. And then as well, there's, um, a behavioral breakdown too. So um, it goes through three different sections for social eating and eating compliance, eating related communication. So can they request food when that food is visible? Can they request food when the food is not visible? Can they appropriately reject food? All of those sorts of things. And then physiological and motor capabilities. Um, so everything from like using utensils to can they serve themselves food? Um, can they swallow a vitamin, you know, things like that. Um, so you'll also have an in-depth breakdown of behavior, um, too, that you can look at. So they have so to go to legit. a website to download the PDF? To so you go purchase. to feedingassessmenttool.com. Uh, when you purchase uh, within 48 hours, you'll receive your individualized link. And then when you log into that link, um, you just start taking the test, you know, whenever you're ready. Um, and then when you finish the test, you'll automatically get your PDF generated. Perfect. Okay. And, and, and so this is not specific to you then? Yes. Uh, to like, is, well, that, um, is that my understanding? Or as a therapist? Yes. Or can I mean... Yeah. So you won't, you won't meet with me as a therapist. Um, you do it mm -hmm. on your own. Um, if you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out. Um, the email is contact at feedingassessmenttool.com. But the idea is that you can use this and then bring it to your therapist that you're already working with, that you already have a relationship with, um, and just use the information for your feeding therapy. And so the clinicians themselves can also, they can purchase the tool to use for their practice. Do exactly. they have to purchase it yeah, individually for each kid every time or can they just buy it to have the tool? How do you? So, yeah. Um, for, for parents, it's uh, more than likely that you'll just purchase one. So we have that option of like a single purchase. But um, for clinics, um, we have clinics purchase in bulk. So you can obviously save a lot of money if you um, buy it by like the hundred um, and you get it's just that same link. You have like a portal basically, um, and you get to run through a hundred and then, um, you can renew and get, you know, the link will continue to work for you, but it'll work for a hundred more. Um, we have all the way up to 500. I love that. That's perfect because there's so many, so awesome. like even, you know, I talk with my, my pediatrician at the business and I always share all the new information that we get from <laughs> <laughs> yes, that we have on the podcast and these resources. And they're like, oh my gosh, I need to know. So I, because they're hungry too for what are other resources that I can share with families to help them. And this is such a vital one. And that yeah. again, it has yeah. the option again to just take that and use that as information to provide to your teams. And we, so to even Tasha's point, I, part of the interdisciplinary approach, I also had gotten the this our education team on board with the fooding therapy feeding therapies or or protocols that we were doing so that they could implement them you know during the lunch or snack time mm -hmm. you know so that mm -hmm. because one of the biggest things that I saw also creating that demand avoidance that we were experiencing was behavioral contrast Mm -hmm. And so when you have all these different entities doing things differently and changing this, like, it was like, Ugh, well, then I'm just not going to do this at all. Mm -hmm. You know, for him, he was like, nope, retreat, mm -hmm. retreat, flight, flight, mm -hmm. flight. I'm going out of here, man. I'm out, out. Um, and there was more behavior than just that. But that's kind of what, you know, you're dealing with. And then that just fell into to other things. And then therefore shows up possibly as indicators of regression. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
And that's not really, obviously, that's not getting to the heart of really what is, right? We're treating the symptoms of things and not actually what the root cause is. And so I love this so much. And thank you for your brain (laughs) and thinking of such a wonderful tool that I can't wait to hear all the feedback that we're going to get even from this episode alone, being like, oh my gosh, this tool is amazing. So glad you had her on. They're mm-hmm. all going to use it. <laughs> I can't, I mean, well, they're just going to be like, that, where was this is, hiding? Why was this hiding out this entire yes. time? That is the amazing part, I think, is that, you know, predominantly speaking, our, our, or our, excuse me, our, uh, generally speaking, our predominant community is, yes, parents that are listening, but we do get so many other listeners, whether it be therapist or, you know, family members, you know, maybe the, they're, you know, once removed from the, their, you know, the neurodiverse child, whatever it might be, we get a gamut. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that I think this could, that could benefit from that. Even, I mean, it's not even just neurodiverse children or, you, you know, adolescents, young adults, whatever it, I mean, I could use this on my typical mm-hmm. daughter who absolutely basically picked up well. the same same eating pattern as oh, you her brother say, because that, it's what her brother that's did. That's what's happening at our house too. Well, Rory's <laughs> getting to do this. And I was like, you used to eat pate jars of it. Okay. You you so, ate and, and meat off the I, bone like a savage prehistoric being. Like But I, I think that's what's so incredible is that, you know, these this can even be for the parents out there that are just struggling that their child is totally typical mm-hmm. they're just they will not eat out of the you know beige realm or they will not eat anything that is whatever you know it's so mm-hmm. good i'm just can we put you on a little pedestal <laughs> for a second i don't know if you remember tosh you guys could see the video i'm holding her the up here the entire time we're having this conversation it just reminds me of when we had Renee on um, and she was telling the story mm-hmm. about how challenge what they were dealing with, with feeding at home and sitting at the table and that like, mm-hmm. obviously yeah, Renee Ingalls, right, it, was, yes. it was her, she shared it also as her peak, but she was also, you could, I remember just resonating with that feeling of that frustration that she was currently having. And they're like, well, this is our biggest challenge mm-hmm. right now, you know? And I just want to be like, Renee, look what we found. <laughs> yes. You're going to yeah. love it. Be, I mean, because it, it does even to go down to that simple, you know, like to that part of, um, you know, maybe you do have a child who is, um, I, I don't want to use the word, but uh, what would be considered higher functioning, you know, and, and you do have the capability to go uh, sit down in a restaurant, but they even have their own struggles mm-hmm. there because it's, you know, that their, their patience level gets, you know, runs out quickly. And, and so it's like ha- figuring out just mm-hmm. that, you know, like, I mean, we, we still have, you know, our, our children will sit down at the dinner table if they have an iPad in front right. of them. I don't even want to admit mm-hmm. that. Oh, but you just did. So, <laughs> but I just did, you know, and, and, and then, and then, and then watching them try to sit down and and just eat as a family it it it's almost like their bodies will not allow mm-hmm. for it 
I just, I don't, and I'm like, I guess maybe because we all have ADHD in our house. Like, I don't, I don't know, but it's like, I, I mean, you know, they, they, they have to be like, you know, crouching down on their chair or walking around the table or whatever it might be. And it's like, these are things that I'm like, I'm sure this is not happening at school. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, how can we, so just your whole assessment, bringing it all together is just so like, but it's definitely happening at school for us, for sure. What we call, well, no, I know we call it flexible seating. Mm-hmm. seating arrangements. Yeah. But, there, but there are the there are the kids who you know like like my son Jack Elizabeth. He's always he's always been really like peer example driven. So he just does whatever his peers mm-hmm. are doing. You know whatever his typical peers are doing, and and which has been great. Um, but you know, um, and then it's like you get into a different setting. You're not mm-hmm. in school, and it's like you're at a restaurant, or you're and, and yeah. you're like. That's the be- that's you know how is this that's different? the behavioral contrast that's that's what I was referencing yeah that's what so I'm that's talking what, about yes yeah, so that's when what, you what you figure he out he has not it's the I'm going to use the ABA term he has not generalized mm-hmm. the skill mm-hmm. and so the skills are not generalized mm-hmm. and so that's always the struggle and so this used to be the fight that I used to have with you know being in school because the education setting is it the fun the function of it is different than the functions of home or being in a restaurant and all having to adapt to all those different functions of all those different settings. It literally drives you crazy as a parent. And I'm not a BCBA, you know, and then I had to learn to basically be one and I don't have those four letters behind my name. And it's very frustrating, especially after all these years that I don't have that. Um, But like, you know, and now I've, I'm failing because I, I'm out of practice and haven't, we haven't had ABA in like a year and a half, but still like uh, that, that is exactly it, Tosh. Like that's exactly one of the problems and challenges that we have and why we can't get our kids to increase at a higher frequency, their food repertoire. And also like feel comfortable doing that in all of those different areas, because we're having to mitigate all these different things. And we're not there all the time. Like, mind you, we're not at school. Like we're not in the classroom with our kids. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what they're, they're doing. Yeah. And so I do have to just ask Elizabeth, because you, I mean, you know, obviously you work with children that have, um, the higher demands of whether they're autistic or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be that they are in, um, therapy for, but do you think, you know, there is this just because that there is a change in just our societal where we're, we are so short, um, what's the word? What, how am I, uh, delayed gratification? Our, 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 gratification? Our, no, our, yes. Like our attention span is just so it's growing shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's just happening, you know, like even more with our kiddos, you know, again, whether they, they are typical or neurodiverse, wh- whatever it might be, but is that, can, does that play a part in, in that too? You know, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think does that make sense there's so many I'm different sorry. factors at play. Um, I think most of the time, I mean, not all the time, but a lot of the time kids don't even just have the diagnosis of autism. They also have ADHD and like other comorbid disabilities too. So you have to take those into account. And then we have, um, like you were saying, the behavioral contrast, there's all these different environments. Um, so there's, there's so many things that could be at play and yeah, the, the lack of the attention Mm -hmm, span is mm -hmm. definitely one of them. Um, going back to the generalization, Mm -hmm. you used a lot of good ABA terms there, (laughs) Jean. Put Uh, put me back in. Can I take the board now, please? (laughs) 
I could use the money. I could use the money. I just want to be, I don't want to be in the clinic. I just want to be research-based BCBA. That'll be good for me. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But the generalization is so huge. And that's something that I actually talk about a lot, especially if you're, um, if any parents are listening who are just like sort of entering into this, um, because kids with autism often get so fixated on a certain like routine and it has to be this certain way. Any small thing that you can change in their mealtime, it doesn't have to be drastic. Um, but to avoid that rigidity is really important. So I always say like serve it on a different plate, serve it in a bowl, serve it in a cup. Even if it's a quesadilla, put it in a cup. Um, or, you know, flip it upside down, cut it into a heart. Do as much mm-hmm. as you can um, to just have small, subtle differences so that they are open to a little bit of diversity on their on their plate um, is really, really important because losing generalization, it's really hard to get it back. So if you can just maintain that at the beginning, um, even if it's just, you know, we cut it in half sometimes, we leave it whole other times, you know, do as much as you can to keep a little bit of variety. I'm just, yeah, see, and I love that because I mean, for somebody who never did ABA therapy, you know, I don't know any of that. I don't know Mm -hmm. anything about that. And it's, I wish I would have I wish I would have stopped peeling the apples and said, no, sometimes you get it this way. <laughs> Listen to all these little things. It's like, if we could have just made these small changes, mm-hmm. you know, it's not saying that it would be perfect, but it's like, right. yeah. Or even just um, handing him the apple upside down. You know, if you're not at a place where he would ever eat a yes. peel, an apple peel, if you just hand him the apple upside down, or sometimes you take the stem out, you know, just those small things that make it a little bit different can, can start to build. I'm just like having flashbacks okay. of like so many instances right now of just so many targets. And like my son, his infamous or two infamous statements when he is protesting about something he doesn't like, it is, ooh, yuck. I mean, he's extended on that. It says, ooh, yuck, that's disgusting. The other day I gave him water without ice in it. And he was like, ooh, yuck, that's disgusting. Okay, <laughs> same bottle. I went and put ice in it. And I was like, okay, and then he's fine. But sometimes even if I've corrected what he wanted within the container, it still is like now the profile is ruined. Mm-hmm. He's now that generalization is gone. And it's like, okay, we lost that. And it, especially after like I went out and like bought the bulk, I'm like, oh my God, he's eating this now. It's great. And now we're going to do these things and all these different variations. And then the one time I get the variation wrong and like, well, nope. And now I have a huge inventory of whatever cereal <laughs> or whatever food item it is. I mean, like even peanut butter and jelly too. I mean, I'm like, I, so much of that, right? Like so much of what you said. I just, I know that parents listening to this are literally probably in their cars or in their kitchen going, oh my house or like, it's so much beyond just the, that's not on the right plate. And like the toddler tossing the, you know, the pink the pink cup being like, I'm sorry, I wanted red today. Did you not mm-hmm. understand? Um, it's so much bigger than that. And then the other protest word was traitor. Traitor. I don't even know where he got it from, but it was almost like this. It was this, it's this right of, You're not on it my is team. this rite of passage that we, we joke about it with the educational team. Like anytime there was like a new para that came on board or whatever. And I'm like, well, you're not in the circle of trust yet until you've made it to trader status. Until you've gotten that protest, you now are in because he's gonna he's bold enough to say, You're a trader. I know you'll still love me, but I'm saying no to this, you know? So it's just so funny. I mean, like it, these be like I loved, I guess I was so in it. I loved like you. You know, you 
became so enamored, so enamored to the point that you created these profiles within this thing to 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 literally dissect all the nuance down. That's really mm-hmm. incredible. I mean, and I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm just guessing is that obviously as time goes on, if you have to go back and revisit the rubric or make adjustments that you will or you do, do you have you already done that at since it's been launched or what is? No, I just launched it last year, so I haven't oh, done the that? updates oh, yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm more than happy to do them as they arise. As you see that it may mm-hmm. fit. Like I don't like. Yeah. Um, I guess other clinicians, if they gave you know give feedback or whatever, um, like you or just they would converse with you or whatever you would call that information. I just find it so interesting because again, there has not been a positive remedy or resource that again can serve in the function in a, in, a, in private privately at home, mm-hmm. and then in all these other different settings where you, again I can go back to the educational team or we can go back to our you know our therapy providers and say, Hey, I got yes. this data here. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Or we could just start right where we're at. Doesn't matter what age, doesn't right. matter how long we've had our diagnosis, that is right. you know, whatever. Just so, mm-hmm. so, so special good. and so good. And um, I look forward to seeing other things that you do because the work is never done. Mm-hmm. Always doing new things. I'm sure you'll see other things that you, other gaps for sure. Like you said, yeah. I, I think that that was the other fascinating thing that I found out was again, looking at the timeline. Um, and I like to share this kind of stuff because I like parents to stay curious. We always say the most important thing you can do is stay curious about your child, curious about what they need, ways that you can help support them. But being curious also about the origin about all these things, like again, speech therapy, occupational therapy, those have been, those boards have been established for all those years. ABA being technically to me, I considered being in its infancy, the same mm-hmm. thing that I felt with the IDEA in the educational as- realm. Like it's still to me, it's very much in the infancy. I think a lot of people now, especially as they come on board with their newly diagnosed child, I think they think these things have preexisted for for years, right? And they haven't. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this constant evolution mm-hmm. um, of all of these systems that are all antiquated mm-hmm. together. I mean, like literally, I mean, the ABA essentially is actually antiquated in so many things, even in speech and occupational and school, and per, you know, uh, sorry, in our in our prison and police systems, like everything that we do behaviorally, it's all antiquated into that. So, you know, learning the history of that, I think is helpful in trying to find like, I, just identifying it and seeing it and then figuring out mm-hmm. what's right for your kid. And how to figure out who's who's the right clinician too, like team mm-hmm. members, you know, or educa- educators, and how well informed they are, um, and that makes it unfortunately again more overwhelming for the parent. I get that too, but this is a ever growing, ever learning process, and people like you, who are now going, you know, that are putting dents in these systems in a way that, and significant benchmarks to really help families to propel them forward, I think is so crucial. We need more of you. 
We need more Elizabeths in the mm-hmm. world. Truly. Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> if you needed a mood, if you needed a boost today, we're I know, here for I it. <laughs> yeah, you're, su- you're, you're, you're a superhero too. in our eyes. You might be one of my new favorite humans. I don't know if you're expecting that um, <laughs> just for this kind of work, because this has been such a significant thing. You know, we don't realize it. And I think I also, in part of grief, which we talk about broadly on this podcast, it comes up all the time talk about things, a concept or a theme that's antiquated in many of our discussions, it is that there's a lot of grief around this because it's mm-hmm. this food, eating and food is, is a basic need that touches everything in our lives as, as a human, as a human being and is the humanity around it. And so that is what I would leave with our community today. Anyone listening is that if you are struggling with that, like where we get it. Mm-hmm. We understand, like, we are your people. We are here. We mm-hmm. hope you find this helpful. And as a geeking out, excited as we are about mm-hmm. it, um, and send us all your questions. And we will make sure that this information, how to, um, are you, are you online as well? Do you have a platform online on social media? Um, I have a Facebook, a feeding assessment tool. Feeding assessment tool, and then they obviously go tool. to feedingassessmenttool.com yeah. um, to to the... pull uh, and purchase the purchase the rubric, assessment. the assessment yeah. tool, so that they can. Mm-hmm. can and do then that any for questions, my email's on there as well, so they can reach out if needed. Great, perfect, perfect. Well, yeah. well thanks <laughs> for being on with us today. Thank we you so much. Love it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tosh, any yeah. closing statements or questions? Um, well, since I'm always the one that forgets, I will just remind everybody, if you can get on and give us a review, it helps us to build our our platform um, to reach more more people, more parents like you or or anybody, more therapists, you know, we want we want therapists knowing this this business that Elizabeth is sharing. So um, yes, so you can you can find us on any major, podcast player platform. And you, ha- if you have specific questions for us, you can reach us at hello at momstalkautism.com. And you can find us on Instagram at momstalkautism. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> find us. I think. Yes. Find find us. us. Find Elizabeth. Find it all. Everything will be in the show notes. (laughs) And I made sure I wrote this down. So there's no, I'm not going to miss it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for being on Elizabeth. And um, we'll see everyone next time. See you later. Bye.